From bell to bell and post to post. We got a big battle in front of us, baby. It is just stopped. So let's get fucking like a monkey. Working the territories on the Northwest Coast. Who wants to walk with Elias? You're listening to Wrestle Central. Give me a hell yeah. On Sportsnet 650. You got journalism for that. With Justin Morissette. That looked low. It did look a little low. Randy Orton looked like he went low. Punt! The punt! Cover by the Viper! Randy Orton has beaten Edge! We knew Randy Orton would be willing to do anything, and I mean anything, to win. And Randy Orton has done just that. Was this the greatest wrestling match ever? No, Tom Phillips, it was not. Safe to say, not the greatest wrestling match in history, which was a ridiculous billing in the first place, but I think that was for a reason, and we'll get into that a little bit later here on the program. It is Wrestle Central with you once again on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette, coming to you live on a Sunday night on another post-pay-per-view show here. Uh, of course, it was NXT giving us a Sunday evening pay-per-view last week with TakeOver in your house, and you can catch my thoughts on that one on the archives at sportsnet.ca slash 650. Uh, but tonight we have another one, a main roster show to talk about, and if I'm not mistaken, the first main roster pay-per-view uh, since WWE has brought these NXT kind of crowds back where uh, people in the Performance Center, whether that's NXT talent or people who are waiting for uh, their debuts on NXT television, are in the crowd cheering you on. And, of course, uh, we got even more crowd noise tonight, uh, even more than that than the trainees in the audience. As Edge and Orton, Randy Orton and Edge in the main event of this one, uh, also had canned noise, which I think adds interest to this as far as presentation that we're going to see in sports in general as well, beyond just wrestling. Like, WWE experimented with a lot of different things in the presentation of that match. And yes, a lot of those things can only be achieved when you are pre-taping and not going live. Uh, This was a match that was shot close to two weeks ago and assembled in editing over the last couple weeks here. They had reshoots on this match, which, of course, never happens with a regular wrestling match. But there were still a lot of things in this, quote-unquote, greatest wrestling match ever that I think the company can learn from, and I think sports as a whole can learn from, about how to present things uh, without a crowd. Because this is a conundrum that is going to be afflicting not just wrestling, not just, you know, MMA. Every sport that you watch that you can't wait to come back out of the COVID era is going to have to, um, you know, perhaps look around and see what people are doing uh, that works presentation-wise. And WWE is one of the things that is happening. There are lessons to be learned from it. There are lessons to be learned from tonight's pay-per-view. Yes, it was WWE Backlash 2020 live from the Performance Center in Orlando, Florida. I believe the Performance Center is in Orlando, somewhere in Florida, regardless. And (laughs) uh, what I really liked about uh, last week's show, TakeOver in Your House from NXT, was that they had a set, that it felt distinct. And I was hoping, of course, for Backlash, that we might see the hooks come out of storage, those big swinging hooks that, uh, of course, were popularized during the 2000 iteration of this pay-per-view, but did stick around for several years after that as well, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, it is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are discussing this evening's pay-per-view, and we are live as well. So if you want to have your say, if you watched this pay-per-view tonight and want to weigh in on what you saw, I would love to hear from you. You can do that a number of ways. You can hit me on the text line at 650-650 and sound off with your thoughts and feelings on tonight's pay-per-view and uh, what you thought of the show overall or where you think things are going. You can, of course, give me a call as well, 604-280-0650, the number to dial, and you can catch me on Twitter at Sportsnet650, the handle for the station, at Justin Morris, M-O-R-I-S, 1-R-1-S, on Twitter if you want to get at me and share your thoughts as well. But, um... 
bit of an up and down pay-per-view, certainly the longest that they've done since WrestleMania. WrestleMania, of course, was uh, two three-hour shows and uh, uh, with a pre-show as well. This one matched that length as well. So uh, we are getting away from what we'd seen at Money in the Bank as well as NXT TakeOver in your house last weekend. Both shows that were two hours and 20 minutes and both kind of light and breezy and easily digestible and you finished them and you had... You know, more appetite at the end of it. You could sit there and watch perhaps a WWE Network documentary. You could watch the latest episode of uh, The Last Ride, the Undertaker behind-the-scenes, never-before-seen footage documentary that they're rolling new episodes out of uh, all the time. Uh, I didn't have that appetite tonight, necessarily, with a three-hour show that included a one-hour pre-show, four hours in total, and, of course, the bulk of that length coming in the main event Edge and Orton, the quote-unquote greatest wrestling match ever, ran for nearly 45 minutes, 44 minutes, and 46 seconds. Uh, If you lop that off, you have basically a two-hour and 20-minute show, but uh, this was the big piece, the big prize, the the match that they've been building towards for oh so long now. Yes, it already happened at WrestleMania in a way. It was a backstage brawl. It was not a quote-unquote wrestling match, and... That's part of the branding of this whole show in general. To call something the greatest wrestling match ever is to call what we are tuning in to watch wrestling, which WWE has gotten away from for a very, very long time. You know, they call it sports entertainment. They they don't want to be called uh, a wrestling company. They want to be called a sports entertainment company. Uh, They don't want the wrestlers to even be called wrestlers. They want them to be called superstars. Throughout this program, Edge and Randy Orton both said the word wrestler and wrestling as much as possible. And I'm sure Paul Heyman delighted in that. Unfortunately, it might have cost him his job because WWE announcing on Thursday of this week that Paul Heyman is out. As the head of creative for Monday Night Raw, Bruce Pritchard, who had been running SmackDown as well, is now going to be overseeing both shows, and Heyman will just focus entirely on being an on-screen promoter. I have plenty of thoughts on that, and I will save them for the uh, back half of the show when we are done talking about this pay-per-view here this evening. A pay-per-view that kicked off with a pre-show, an hour-long pre-show, that was mostly video packages. Um... And that kind of surprises me, honestly, because usually when there's only one match on the pre-show, it does get some time. It does get to be 13 to 16 minutes or so, and that's kind of what I was hoping for from this one between Apollo Crews and Andrade, formerly Andrade Cien Almas. Uh, This was for the United States Championship, Uh, Apollo picking it up off of Andrade about a month ago to kick this whole thing off. Uh, And for that reason, it feels like this was kind of the uh, obvious end point or the obvious result of this match, I should say, that Apollo was going to hang on to the title as his reign is just getting started. This is the obligatory rematch to have with Andrade before you can kick him a little further up the card and perhaps he gets to engage with Drew McIntyre in a feud for the WWE Championship. But at the moment, Apollo Crews continues to be U.S. champion, thanks to an assist from Kevin Owens. Owens was out on commentary. Uh, Of course, he has been feuding with Angel Garza over the last little while. Garza and Zelina Vega both came out down to the ring with Andrade and uh, got involved in the finish uh, as Garza tried to distract the referee and let uh, Andrade cheat to win. No, uh, (laughs) Kevin Owens got up off the commentary table, pulled Angel Garza off the ring apron, hit him with a stunner on the outside, and Apollo Crews used the distraction to regain control and retain his title in 7 minutes and 25 seconds. And I think part of what has been fun about watching Raw over the last couple months here, and part of what I'm afraid will be lost if Paul Heyman is no longer in charge of the show, is watching these new young guys establish themselves in barn burner matches. You know, why is Apollo Crews United States champion right now? Why is this run working for him in this exact moment? Because we watched him have an incredible match with Aleister Black on the Raw after WrestleMania a couple months ago. That's the, you know, what gets the ball rolling on all of this. This push for him is that match, which to me was better than, you know, just about two-thirds of everything that was on WrestleMania this year. What could have been a throwaway nothing match on Raw ends up giving this guy a boost. And we got to see him get that push because... 
I mean, it's hard to say that the audience is reacting to his wrestling, but certainly at home, I'm reacting to watching lengthier actual matches that focus on actual wrestling and push the guys who are actually very talented when the bell rings uh, and not just guys who have gimmicks or guys who have looks or guys who are former football players that Vince McMahon is obsessed with, so on, etc. So I'm worried that if Raw, uh, you know, changes its format, if, you know, Vince wasn't happy with the overall product here, that we will not get to see guys like Apollo and Andrade get to have 12, 13, 14, 16, 20-minute matches to prove themselves and establish some kind of footing here and build new stars because that was Heyman's entire MO with Raw was to get new young guys over. And for the most part, I thought he was very effective in doing so. Apollo Crews look no further than that. So, uh, you know, the right result, but maybe not the best match and not as much time to have the best match as you might like, which, again, surprising, given that it was a 60-minute pre-show and this was the only match on it. But we will move on from there to the main card. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We're talking about WWE Backlash 2020, which just went off the air a few short hours ago. In the main card opener, it's the women's tag team champion match, a tag triple threat as the champions Bailey and Sasha Banks successfully retain against Alexa Bliss and Nikki Cross and the Iconics Peyton Royce and Billy Kay. This one lasted 8 minutes and 50 seconds, and uh, again, not a lot of time, not a great match overall, but I like that this was a triple threat, and not just that, I like that it was a, a triple threat tag match where all three teams had a representative in the ring at all times. I hate this style of multi-team tag matches that WWE occasionally does where... You know, anybody can tag anybody at all times, and there's only ever two people in the ring at any given time, and blah, blah, blah. It's just confusing. It it muddies the waters a little bit too much when tag team wrestling should be simple. You should be able to tell what's going on at any given moment. Having both teams, or all teams rather, have a representative in the ring make it an official triple threat match. To me, that's fantastic. And I kind of like the pairings of these three teams as well. You know, you have a, a real worker in... Each of those pairings, uh, Nikki Cross, obviously, for her tag team, and that would be Sasha Banks for her team as well, though Bailey is quite skilled in the ring. She's just perhaps better on the mic right now, and Sasha quite skilled on the mic as well. Regardless, Billy Kay, the worker of the two in the Iconics as well, or, or sorry, Peyton Royce, the worker of the two. Billy Kay is the mouth, the talker, the one who, you know, uh, can't stop trash talking during the middle of matches. Bailey's great at that too, and so is Alexa Bliss. So I did like the way that. All members of this uh, match got kind of paired off together in moments and and played to their shared strengths. But ultimately, if this match was on TV, if this was a Raw match, we wouldn't think much of it. It was kind of just fine. And the right move that Bailey and Sasha retain. Sasha Banks steals the win on a roll-up after Alexa Bliss hit Billy Kay with the Twisted Bliss. Sasha, out of nowhere, uh, gets the pin. And I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of that match because it was... Uh, Alexa, who was, you know, putting her move uh, on display and picking up the win, should have picked up the win with her finisher there. She didn't take any damage uh, to incur the pin that happened. But regardless, the fact that uh, our, our power-tripping heel duos are still tag champions and will get to take those belts across all three brands is the right booking decision. I want to see Sasha and Bailey on every show right now. They are that entertaining, especially when these were the ladies who had the belts to begin with and, and announced it was their idea even that we can go back to NXT and defend these titles there. They never got the opportunity to do that in their initial run. They are going to get the opportunity to do that this Wednesday night when they take on Shotzi Blackheart and Tegan Knox for the WWE Tag Team Championships. Uh, women's Tag Championships, I should say, on NXT on Wednesday. You can catch that match on Sportsnet 360 this Friday in Canada. It will air before SmackDown uh, at 4 p.m. on the West Coast, 7 o'clock out East. Uh, but yeah, kind of a, a nothing match, not much to write home about there. In our next match, oh boy, the build for this one. What a stinker, literally and figuratively. Uh, Sheamus defeating Jeff Hardy in a singles match that was 16 minutes and 50 seconds, but felt much, much longer. If I had to guess, I would have thought this was in the 22-minute range. It felt like this went on forever. 
but in kind of like the WWE main event style where guys are just so fatigued from all the wear and tear they've taken over the course of the match and moving so slowly, so on, etc. I didn't hate it. Not a bad match by any stretch, but a terrible build by all means. Uh, this was uh, something that played on Jeff Hardy's alcoholism. They straight up called him an admitted alcoholic on the broadcast and uh, that he was framed for a lapse in his sobriety by Sheamus in the build to this culminating in an angle on this past Friday's SmackDown that involved Jeff Hardy peeing into a cup. Yes, peeing into a cup to prove his sobriety and then throwing that cup full of pee into Sheamus's face as the ultimate uh, flip of the bird, as it were, as it were to head into this match. Um, just straight-up embarrassing stuff uh, as far as booking decisions and, and storyline and so on, etc. And if this is what we can expect from what Bruce Pritchard is going to bring to Raw, then yeah, I think I have cause for concerns on where WWE television is heading uh, after this week's big move behind the scenes. Let's say, um, yeah, not a not a not a great match, not a bad one by any stretch. And maybe this is building up for a rematch at Extreme Rules because when they did put the Extreme Rules tease up on the screen as part of the uh, you know, pay-per-view logos uh, that you can get on WWE Network when they were, uh, you know, kind of pushing the network on you during the show this evening, which is always funny because how are you watching the show if not on the WWE Network? Regardless, uh, <laughs> I digress. Um, <laughs> while they were doing that, the Extreme Rules logo has a very Jeff Hardy color scheme to it this year. It's kind of fluorescent green and and purple, um, very similar to the shirts that they wore in their initial comeback uh, at WrestleMania in 2016, I want to say. It was maybe 2017, a while ago, whenever the Hardys returned to WWE at WrestleMania, which I believe is WrestleMania 32, but my memory might be failing me at the moment. So maybe he's going to play a prominent role. Maybe this is a match that's going to be uh, extreme and so on, etc. and he will get his come up, and Jeff Hardy will have his day in the sun and avenge this embarrassment. Uh, but but um, it, to me, it's not Jeff Hardy who comes out looking bad out of all this. It's WWE and WWE's writers who would put this sort of stuff on display and then have that guy lose the match. Like, if you're going to invoke real-world things that have real-world gravity that are kind of touchy that you maybe should not invoke... The guy who, uh, you know, you're, you're poking and prodding at his personal problems needs to ultimately come out on top if you're going to do that. Or don't do it at all. Like, I don't want to see a match like, for example, Triple H versus Booker T at WrestleMania back in the day, which was about, you know, the inherent racism of professional wrestling. And then the racist won the match. Nobody wants that. You know, uh, it's, it's storytelling and it's predetermined. And we all know that. And you don't have to give me the happy ending all the time. But when you are actually invoking real societal issues, whether that's racism, whether that's alcoholism, whether that's drug abuse, so on, etc., that person needs to overcome in the end. And maybe this is not the end of this story, but commentary coming out of this match. Corey Graves said something along the lines of Jeff Hardy is ashamed right now, as he should be. And I was incensed by that line. No, WWE, you should be ashamed. You should be ashamed. Seamus. <laughs> Shame us. You know, he certainly did this evening. Uh, Seamus is the guy who picks up the victory after 16-50 in a decent match, but nothing special. Kind of a TV match again, as I said earlier. But again... I think this is by design. I don't think anything was really allowed to shine on this show on purpose. Maybe that's the reason Apollo Crews and Andrade only got 725 on the pre-show in the first place. Because if they went 20 minutes, they might amaze you. And you might be so amazed by them that you would wonder why uh, the main event of this show was the one that was advertised as the greatest wrestling match ever and not the one that was clearly better than it lower down on the card. Well, you don't have to worry about that with this show because there wasn't really anything that was better than it lower down the card. There might have been something more fun than it, certainly, but nothing uh, better, I don't think. Oscar uh, and Nia Jax in the Raw Women's Championship match went 8:25. This one ended in a double countout. Yes, we are going to continue this feud for another month into Extreme Rules where these two ladies will deliver a hardcore match or an any a false count anywhere match or 
any number of things, an extreme rules match, blah, 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 blah. Uh, this was awful, you know. And, and to give not just a non-result, and, and look, obviously Nia is protected. She's a big monster. They don't want her taking a defeat, but you are putting her up against a submissions specialist. Ultimately, when this thing ends, I don't want Asuka to use weapons to knock Nia unconscious and pin her that way. I want her to tap out. She is a submissions machine is Asuka and if you really want to put the shine on Asuka right now on Raw which by all accounts you should I know the dirt sheets keep saying that now that Becky's out of the way it's going to be Charlotte's show on Raw and that's why she dropped the NXT title so on etc I don't want that uh we've seen that enough times we've seen Asuka get sacrificed for Charlotte enough times Asuka is terrific. She is so phenomenal inside the ring. When the bell rings, she can put on a show. Yes, Charlotte can as well, and Charlotte has a, the additional skill of speaking English, which Asuka does not have. But there are ways to present Asuka in ways where her language barrier is not a barrier because ultimately the language that we're tuning in to watch people speak in is wrestling, and she can certainly do that. And, uh, yeah, it's just, to me... I want to see her be built up and be given some shine and be given some big wins. And maybe, again, as I just talked about with Sheamus and Jeff Hardy, this is not the end of this. Maybe we do get to see that a little bit later on down the line. But in the here and now, this felt incredibly disappointing. A big-time woof uh, from Asuka and Nia Jax with the no result, double countout. Asuka retains... And this feud will continue. Uh, up next on the show, Braun Strowman taking on The Miz and John Morrison for the WWE Universal Championship, a two-on-one handicap match where whichever one of Miz or Morrison got the pin on Braun would become Universal Champion. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking WWE Backlash 2020 tonight. And... Uh, <laughs> You can have your say as well. We are live on the air, and I am looking to take some reactions from you. 650-650 is the text line. You can also give me a call, 604-280-0650. Braun Strowman and The Miz, or Braun Strowman taking on The Miz and John Morrison. Again, another stinker, dud feud in the buildup. It had some potential early on. I thought John Morrison in particular was terrific on the mic in the uh, promo segment that began this feud. But it lost a lot of steam, uh, certainly in the week that they did, uh, you know, America's Funniest Home Videos style pranks on him, like like a punked style parody in the year 2020. We're doing punked in 2020? Come on! Come on! Awful. Awful build and a waste of two great characters. I love The Miz and John Morris, and I think they're very funny together. I don't think the comedy that was presented to them uh, in this feud really got to highlight that. But the piece of comedy that they aired before this match began certainly did. They were the ones who made their way out to the ring first. And as they were in the ring before the match, before Braun Strowman made his entrance, they debuted their new pop single called, I believe, Hey, 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 Ho, Ho, Ho. Uh, Tremendous. The music video was hilarious. The song was... Not as funny, maybe, as I would have liked, but overall, I love when these guys do this kind of video comedy. I was a huge fan of when they did a fake trailer for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood uh, a couple months back now in the lead-up to WrestleMania. That's the kind of stuff these guys are very, very good at, and I don't want a tease of a breakup right now. I want a lengthy run with Miz and Morrison because right now the team that they are reminding me of is peak heel New Day, and you do not have an act like that anywhere else on the roster at the moment that has that kind of energy in a heel way. Very, very entertaining heels. That's a necessary thing to have. WWE is very short on them at the moment. Don't break up the two guys that you have that have that dynamic clicking in high gear. Of course, they lost this match. The real question about this match was whether it was going to be longer or shorter than five minutes. If you took the over on five minutes, then you were correct. Seven minutes and 20 seconds. A couple stretches here where Braun was not in control and it looked like the heels had him beat, but he fired up, of course, and pinned John Morrison uh, to retain his Universal Championship. 
the champ retains, the champ retained in the Oscar match, the champ retained with Apollo Crews in the pre-show, champs retaining up and down this card. Uh, I can't tell, actually, what came first between the Drew McIntyre match and the Randy Orton, uh, or rather the Street Profits Viking Raiders backstage hullabaloo. Uh, I believe that came in between the McIntyre match and Orton and Edge in the main event. So I'm going to talk about Drew McIntyre and Bobby Lashley right now, and then we're going to take a break and come back and talk about the wild, wild backstage brawl that went down between the Viking Raiders and the Street Profits. But before we get there, Drew McIntyre retains his WWE championship in a singles match against Bobby Lashley. Lashley accompanied out to the ring by MVP, who has been really the straw stirring the drink throughout this program. Pretty fun match, honestly. This is a rematch of a feud that went down in TNA some four-ish years ago now, and it's playing out again right now for the WWE championship, so look at that impact you are sending guys onto the big leagues, even if you don't know what to do with them. We'll talk impact maybe a little bit more before the show is over as well. Uh, but Drew McIntyre beats Bobby Lashley. Lashley looked great in this. Lashley kind of had the fire and intensity that he did in his Braun match, that last man standing match that he had with Braun. I personally just don't like last man standing matches. There's so much suspense that's just drained out of the match rather than heightened by the long counting segments as guys maybe get up, maybe don't. Uh, so that was always something that hindered that match for me, but I did kind of admire the performance nevertheless. Look, Lashley hasn't been bad, per se, on this run. There have been things that have been awful, like, for example, his feud with Sami Zayn. But overall, you know, he's had moments. I thought the match that he had with Roman Reigns, which I believe was also at Backlash maybe two years ago now, uh, where Roman got the win uh, the night after on Raw, after Lashley with the upset in the main event. Uh <laughs> of the pay-per-view some several years ago now. It's bad that we have to go back two years to find something that I can point at and say, see, Lashley was good in WWE. He can point to this match now. It wasn't great. It wasn't a classic, but it was very, very good. And he was intense and had kind of a ferocity to him that was very engaging. This was a hoss battle, really. When you look at the sheer size of the two guys that were in this match, there's a reason that a lot of people have wanted to see since his return to WWE two years ago, Bobby Lashley have a Brock Lesnar match because you want to see two meat golems like those men go head-to-head in a hoss battle of two beefy boys. That's what we love to see. Uh, and you got it sort of in a way in this match, just, you know, Drew McIntyre subbing in for Brock Lesnar. And that's probably better for the match overall, even if it doesn't have the same sizzle of star power. Uh, the match ends as Lana, who was told to stay in the back by her quote-unquote husband, Bobby Lashley. Lana makes her way out to ringside to uh, try and stop Lashley from winning via cheating in some way. She got up on the apron to yell at her man, and uh, Lashley took a bump from McIntyre into his wife. Lana spills out onto MVP at ringside. They both hit the deck. And that little commotion is all Drew McIntyre needs to hit the Claymore on Bobby Lashley and pick up the victory. One, two, three. Again, is this a feud that's going to continue? Because Bobby Lashley was in control until Lana came out, and maybe that's what he will say uh, to say that he deserves another shot, and this carries on as well. If that is the case, then this does kind of feel like just a stopgap pay-per-view, ultimately. Uh, which is why maybe it was given the the title of greatest wrestling match ever at the top of the card to have that extra hook for you to want and tune in and see this show. But uh, that was the result there, Drew McIntyre retaining, which is, of course, the right move. This guy is the number one thing that is working this year in WWE. Even without a crowd, it is still so clear that he is such a success as a top guy that they have finally figured out how to push someone to the moon and keep the crowd engaged because even without an audience people love this guy uh people have been waiting to see this guy get a push like this for a little while and even if you weren't waiting for that even if this took you completely by surprise i don't think there's anybody who's looking at it and saying man this whole drew mcintyre experiment has been a disaster no this is clearly working and he needs to be the champion uh when audiences come back whenever that may be or maybe he drops it right before crowds come back and win it, wins it back in front of an audience at the first pay-per-view that is allowed to have 
one of those again. Either way, um, whatever they're doing with Drew McIntyre, it is working. They have found that sweet spot that they have not been able to do with baby faces in quite a long time, be it Roman Reigns or Seth Rollins or I would say anyone else they've tried to push to the moon like that, but it's really just those two guys that they've even attempted at all. So that might be part of the problem. Uh, I'll tell you what wasn't part of the problem. Some backstage brawls that really, really entertained me. We'll talk about them after the break, however. Viking Raiders and the Street Profits, when we return, I'm Justin Morissette. We're talking WWE Backlash 2020. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. Pick yourself up off the mat. It's time for more Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650 with Justin Morissette. We want the smoke! Yes, we are back for more Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. I am Justin Morissette, as the man told you. And can you tell that I love this theme song? I think this is probably the fourth time that I have played this on the show in the last year. Uh, and these guys have never been on the program. I just like their theme so dang much. Yes, it is the Street Profits music because while we only have one more match to talk about on this Backlash card this evening, there was something else that took place, uh, a match that was announced that did not happen or happened in a form of sorts, let's say. Uh, there was a cinematic experience on this show. Uh, it was a fun one, too, I thought, divisive online perhaps. But before we get there, I do have a text on the Sportsnet 650 text line. You can weigh in as well. We are live tonight talking the one true sport, professional wrestling. Uh, This text comes from Andy in Burnaby. He says, I'm just catching up and I'm on Lashley and Drew. I haven't enjoyed a Lashley match in this long and suspect it has to do with Drew's willingness to sell despite being a big champion. Uh, Who do you want each of them to face next. First of all, Andy, thank you so much for your text. Thanks for uh, texting in, despite the fact that you are still in the middle of the show, which means you will be listening to this on the podcast a little later on. And that's quite all right. Uh, But yeah, I I think McIntyre has a lot to do with it, honestly. I think that has to do with um, how into... Lashley you are and how open you are to giving him that opportunity because for example I referenced a match that I think is in you know the words of the Simpsons perfectly cromulent earlier uh you know that Bobby Lashley Roman Reigns match that was sold on Spear versus Spear the match itself was good the build however was kind of mediocre shall we say less than good and because the build wasn't great, you don't think back to that match with any amount of fondness. But this one had a fantastic build. And as a result of that, uh, you know, you are willing to open that door and look at Bobby Lashley with fresh eyes and perhaps think that you may have misjudged this man, that there's more talent there than you think. It also helps that for every week uh, over the last four weeks or however long the build to this pay-per-view has been, your champion in Drew McIntyre is trying to build this guy up across from him and say, bring me your best. Come at me with everything you've got. I want the ultimate Bobby Lashley. Bring your ferocity. Bring whatever. Bring the kitchen sink. I want to see what you can do. And we got to see that tonight. Drew even said to camera after the match, I got exactly what I wanted. And you still brought your suitcase full of drama I'm still champion, and I'm going to be for a long, long time. Uh, I do think that has a lot to do with why you uh, enjoyed this match so much, Andy. As for the second part of your question, who do I want each of them to face next? Well, as I said earlier, I think it's going to be the same guys again. But after that, that is a good question. Is there energy to see, perhaps, um... Bobby Lashley maybe slide down the card into the U.S. title picture and and take on Apollo Crews. Now, I wouldn't want Apollo Crews to lose that feud, and I don't know if uh, Lashley can take a loss in his next feud coming out of this. Maybe Kevin Owens and Bobby Lashley could do something interesting or certainly more interesting than Lashley did with Sami Zayn a couple years back. Um, As for Drew McIntyre, though, I think the next opponent for him is natural, and that's Randy Orton. 
Uh, Orton, of course, coming out looking like a million bucks in tonight's main event match, but also has been putting in some of the best work of his career over the last year, and not just the woke tweets, not just the fact that he, uh, you know, he of all people, someone who kind of embraces or embodies uh, the kind of toxic masculinity in sports. There are all kinds of awful stories about the way Randy Orton has treated people, writers, interns, uh, you know, production assistants, so on, etc., backstage people in WWE over the years. He's, he's a toxic bro, and yet... He is embracing Black Lives Matter. He is, uh, you know, taking the stances that you would like to see from a star athlete, and he is using that platform for for good, and that's fantastic. Yes, personal development in the life of, of Randy Orton, probably much more important than what I'm about to talk about, which is how far he has come as a character on screen as well. Uh, the promos in particular, and it starts with that Kofi Kingston feud in the lead-up to SummerSlam last year, but Randy Orton has been killing it consistently for a year straight. He is in the point of his career, very similar to me when Cena did that whole open challenge run with the U.S. title. Okay, from a work rate perspective, fans started to appreciate Cena and and really like take a shine to him in a way that they never had before, and that's all well and good, but, but, but you know, we also, like came to appreciate him before the end. And I don't know if the end is as near for Randy Orton right now as it was for Cena at that time, who had his foot out the door heading towards Hollywood at that point, but wanted to give wrestling kind of one last year before he did that. Uh, But Randy Orton is in the late stages. He is in that point when we should begin to appreciate him if we are going to appreciate him. He is in the, no pun intended here, legacy stage of his career, and he is setting up that legacy to be a strong one. The work he is doing right now is his career best stuff, I think. On the microphone, this edge feud from front to back has been fantastic. And keep in mind, it's been six months of this now. This is a feud that started at the Royal Rumble and might not continue for as long as we might like for reasons that are out of the control of both performers. I don't know if uh, McIntyre and Orton is next as far as what WWE is planning for the next pay-per-view, but I do think that is where we are headed uh, for SummerSlam anyways, whether SummerSlam winds up happening in Boston in August or if it's another performance center pay-per-view like this one that does feel like the ultimate destination. And in fact, Drew McIntyre even said so himself this week in interviews Hyping up the pay-per-view was asked about his uh, ultimate villain, the the man that he sees himself as the as being the best foil for him in the company right now. He said he wants the main event at SummerSlam to be you know Batman Drew McIntyre against his Joker. He called him Randy Orton, and Orton certainly put in performances strong enough to bear that out. I do think. But before we get to Randy Orton and Edge in tonight's main event in the quote-unquote greatest wrestling match ever. We got a match that was canceled, but sort of did take place at the same time. I guess it's Schrodinger's match and that it sort of happened, but uh, was announced for this card earlier today, about an hour before the show began. uh, It was confirmed that the Street Profits and the Viking Raiders would go head-to-head for the Raw Tag Team Championships. That match did not happen, as I mentioned, because the guys met in the back and got into a big brawl that involved a lot of their, uh, you know, segments from the past. We've seen these guys have... A, uh, a feud over the last month where anything you can do, I can do better. It's been all comedy segments for the most part uh, that have been outside of the arena, which I've really loved. I've really loved this entire program. I think it's given both teams huge personalities, which, of course, Street Profits already had, but Viking Raiders desperately needed. This brawl thing, cinematic style uh, brawl in the backstage, into the you know parking lot, up on the roof of trucks, so on, etc., Drew some criticisms, uh, including from The Revival, uh, now known as FTR in AEW, of course, who left the WWE. I believe it was Dax Harwood of The Revival who tweeted earlier tonight, guys, yes, we know, we saw, and yes, we're happy. As in happy not to be there and be involved in that, you know, travesty, as it were. Uh, Personally, I thought this was so fun. And honestly, any other teams, I would not have felt this way. There were definitely weird things about it. The music. It had kind of action movie music in the background at times. Uh, We had a number of dream sequences. This match did not have a video kind of, uh, you know, cobbled together video pack beforehand because 
uh, we saw the the feud play out in memories inside Ivar's mind over the course of this, you know, quote unquote match, um, which was a very strange choice as well. But, you know, outside of those flashbacks that I wasn't entirely sold on and I didn't need because I actually watched the feud because I actually watched the television. uh <laughs> Outside of those moments, I thought this was a ton of fun. And any other teams, it wouldn't work. But because these guys are both babyfaces and both likable, and because both of these teams have built up a camaraderie of sorts over the last month as well. You know, you saw the Street Profits at ringside during the main event of Raw this past Monday, cheering on their boys despite the fact that they are currently engaged in a feud it made sense to have pauses in the action where guys talked things out and had character beats and comedy stuff. Everything that happened in that match was perfectly in keeping with the sort of things we've seen in the outrageous comedy feud that they've had over the last month. So everything kind of snugly fell together. Everything went well for the most part, I thought, as in terms of how this style of presentation fits with these characters. I have no objections at all. Was it goofy? Yes. Was it comedic? Yes. Did it involve a motorcycle gang of ninjas led by Akira Tozawa? Yes. Did it involve the debut of a seven foot three former basketball player that is currently training to be a wrestler at the Performance Center as we speak? Yes. It involved all of those things. Um, the motorcycle gang of ninjas, some people online, didn't like it so much, thought it was a little racially insensitive, and I certainly understand where they're coming from there, but, I mean, we also had ninjas, sort of, uh, in the Boneyard match at WrestleMania between AJ Styles and The Undertaker, those druids who came out concealed uh, in masks and whatnot. They were like mystical ninjas of a sort as well. It's because, of course, all the guys who are coming in as Potty Patrol to let our heroes team up and fight side by side together against a common enemy are all... WWE trainees and NXT people that they don't want their faces on display. They don't want you to associate their actual characters and actual careers with having been the ninjas in this segment. So if you're going to have guys wear masks, uh, then I think ninjas is a fine choice as any. It's it's incredibly goofy, sure, but we're talking also about a show that had you know uh, a sobriety pee test figure prominently into it. There was some goofy stuff on this show, some stuff that makes it hard to explain why you're a fan of wrestling. To me, this match was not one of those things. In fact, it was the exact opposite. I would point to that and say, look at that. Look how fun and weird and wacky that was. That's exactly why I like wrestling. It even ended with a sea monster tentacle scaring them all out of uh, the dumpster that they ended up in after they all uh, did flips into the garbage off of the top of a truck. Yes, it was extremely goofy. And yes, after they fought the ninjas, the match was canceled because, you know, you're in no shape to wrestle a match after you've been attacked by a, a sea monster and, and ninjas and so on, etc. Weird. My phone was blowing up with messages throughout the entirety of this thing. My friend's just saying, what is happening? I'll tell you what was happening. It was a hell of a lot of fun. I've really enjoyed this whole feud. I think it's been super beneficial for both of these teams, no matter what the revival says. So FTR, you can take it and shove it, even though I'm a big fan of you guys. Don't take that personally. Just, uh, you know, you don't have to comment on everything that WWE does. AW can maybe take a pause on that a little bit, even if those guys just got there. Uh, speaking of where we just got, that takes us to our main event this evening. It is Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. My name is Justin Morissette. We are talking about WWE Backlash 2020, the main event tonight, the big match that we've all been waiting for for the last month that they've been building it up as the greatest wrestling match ever. As I said to begin the show this evening, no, it was not that but it was still pretty darn good, and it was something unique and special. They tried to pull out all the stops and give you the presentation that they felt would be, you know, ideal. It was basically a cinematic match, but entirely confined within the ring. Yes, there were camera angles in the match that would be impossible to replicate live. For example, when Edge and Orton tied up at the very beginning of it, we get a shot from under their scrum as if there is a camera coming out of the ring itself which would be impossible. But there were other shots in here that they absolutely can replicate in live context and should, and should as well. 
There was an overhead camera that they went to multiple times. This whole match had a classical feel to it. Howard Finkel was the ring announcer, despite the fact that he is no longer with us. They used recordings of him. Uh, in front of what they said was Madison Square Garden. Could have been anywhere. Who knows? But uh, a nice little touch to get the Fink involved and, and add that kind of specialness to the match as well. The number one thing that you might notice, however, relative to anything else that uh, WWE or anyone else has done in wrestling during the stoppage, this was sweetened audio. And they told us on commentary before the match that began that it would have unique camera angles and I believe they said heightened audio, something to that expect, specially heightened audio. Um, it was sort of like when SmackDown used to air on Friday nights but was taped on Tuesday. And if the segment did not get the reaction that WWE wanted it to get, they would obviously just pipe in fake crowd noise. And you could always tell because there's kind of like a roar that's unnatural that gives it away uh, for how the crowd is reacting to certain things at certain times. But they took tape of how they wanted the crowd to react to the moments of this match and they put it in and to me it worked because I finished this pay-per-view this evening and immediately afterwards went back and watched Smackdown to see the intercontinental title match between Daniel Bryan and AJ Styles a match that I'd heard was spectacular and I had not seen yet uh, because I missed Smackdown I've had a busy weekend please forgive me but I also thought it would be interesting to watch it after tonight's main event as well because I had a feeling that AJ and Brian were going to deliver a much better wrestling match than what we got from Orton and Edge. And I was you know, hoping to make the joke tonight that, uh, that, of course, this wasn't the greatest wrestling match ever. It wasn't even the greatest wrestling match uh, that WWE put on this week, you know? It wasn't even the best wrestling match that Little Nate refereed this week if AJ and Brian were at a level that everyone said they were. And that was a very good match, a long one, too, for television. I believe it took up four segments of TV, at least three, but I believe possibly four TV segments on SmackDown this week, an in-ring barn burner between Brian and AJ. But having just watched Edge and Orton, even with the crowd noise of the NXT people in the audience uh, that you know we've seen over the last couple weeks as WWE has reintegrated audience noise from the NXT crowd, as I mentioned earlier in the show, even with that included, it felt quiet. It felt eerie. You know, is it always the best move? Is it always going to be perfect to... Pipe in fake crowd noise? Maybe not, but it worked tonight. They had a very compelling match. It was close to 45 minutes long. Uh, it was longer than their WrestleMania match, but was certainly better, I thought, more engaging from start to finish. Yes, there was a little bit too much uh, finisher spam, perhaps, during the home stretch, especially just hitting random finishers from throughout history. But there was kind of a, a history element to this match as well. Just uh, kind of doing nods to the past and, and guys that uh, you've respected over the course of your career and, and guys who are some of the greatest to ever do it. There were, you know, nods towards Eddie Guerrero. There were nods towards The Rock. There were nods towards Triple H. There were nods towards a certain somebody who finished with a Crippler crossface as well. Maybe that wasn't a nod. Maybe Edge is just doing the crossface as a finisher, but... Either way, uh, th there were winks towards some of the greats to ever do it here. Was it the greatest wrestling match ever? No. But was it the wrestling match that Edge and Randy Orton needed to have in this exact moments of their careers? Yes. It was probably, no, doubtlessly, Randy Orton's best match in a very, very long time. And he finished with a move that he has not used in a very, very long time. You heard the call coming into the show tonight. He won with the punt after a low blow that took Edge down after Edge was sizing him up for a spear. So a, a dirty, unclean finish as uh, the low blow set it up. But yes, the punt, which Orton had not hit in seven years. We have not seen that move. It has been banned since 2013. He last hit it on Kane. He brought it back tonight for the win. Great to see him cycle through the entirety of his moveset. And that's kind of the story of the match as well, is that both guys went throughout the entirety of their movesets from the entirety of their 20-year careers and basically hit every single move that they've ever hit along the way. We also saw nods to, to Christian with the unprettier. Um, you know, there were a lot of different winks and nods throughout 
this to other wrestlers, guys who've been important to both of their careers, so on, etc. In the end, it's Orton who picks up the win. I think that's the right call because I did think this was going to be a trilogy, but unfortunately, Edge suffered an arm injury during this match and is going to be out of action for the next four to six months. So I do think we do get the trilogy capper, Edge Orton 3, at some point down the line, but it's going to be down the line as we're not going to see Edge for at least four, if not six months right now. And you know what? Maybe that is for the best because I do want to see the conclusion of this feud, but I also want to see Edge in front of a crowd. And the more you have him do without an audience, the less special it's going to feel when he's doing these things in front of a crowd again as well. Um, and that cannot come soon enough, honestly. Obviously, things need to be safe. There's so many things that go into it, yada, yada, yada. I'm not saying rush back just to have an audience for the sake of it. Be safe, obviously. But, you know, there are things that we've been robbed of going all the way back to WrestleMania without a crowd. Big title wins, big moments, big return matches. Tonight's match was one of those things, and they worked around it as best as they could uh, with camera trickery and and juiced audio, but I liked it. And honestly, hockey and basketball and any other sport right now, soccer that's looking at coming back and playing games in return seasons under COVID conditions without a crowd right now should look at what this match felt like and decide to go with fake crowd noise. I think it's the way to go, folks. I really do because... Was was Orton and Edge a better match than AJ and Brian this week? I don't know, ultimately. In the ring, probably not. But how it felt in terms of presentation? Definitely. Definitely better. And, and you know, AJ and Brian, two of the, my favorites in the ring, two of the best workers in the world right now. I, you got to give some credit to where it's due, and that credit might be due with, juiced audio and fake crowd noise it really uh it did well right now uh it did well tonight i should say in this match and fun night overall i would say uh, up and down pay-per-view kind of it was top heavy uh my opinion on it was not very positive until we got to that backstage brawl segment but the final let's say hour and 20 minutes or hour and a half of a three-hour show the back half was really, really strong tonight. I very much enjoyed it, and uh, I hope you did too, and I hope you enjoyed listening to me talk about it because that's pretty well our show this evening, folks. One other heavy pay-per-view night. I'll talk more, obviously, about Paul Heyman being ousted from Creative uh, Behind Raw on next week's show because we will actually have a show that aired without Heyman to judge. I think this is a travesty, though. Heyman's Raws have been terrific And, uh, you know, I got more to say about it, but I will save it for next week's show. Paul Heyman is not to blame for Raw maybe doing bad ratings at the moment. Previous Raws, Raws from several years ago, the the previous three years of Raw are responsible for Raw's current ratings problems. That's all I'm saying. But until next week when we dive into that all over again and talk about impact like I teased earlier and don't have time for right now, too, you... Have been listening to Wrestle Central. I'm so pleased that you did. Uh, same bat time, same bat channel next week. Come on back for more of the only place to hear about professional wrestling on the radio in Vancouver. It's Wrestle Central on Sportsnet 650. I have been and will continue to be Justin Morissette. You take care. Talk to you next week.